This is Running Out of Runway, a discussion about startups, founders, and feelings. Last week, I got a lot of feedback and questions about stock options and how they work. So this week, we're talking about them from an employee perspective. What are they? How do they work? Do you want them? What are they worth? There are multiple ways companies provide ownership or incentives to employees. But we're going to focus on the most common one, incentive stock options. Non-qualified stock options, restricted stock awards, and restricted stock units accomplish many of the same goals, but operate very differently. They're more complex and usually found in later stage companies. And I highly suggest getting legal and tax advice if you're unsure about your situation. I am not a lawyer. Incentive stock options are just options for our purposes, are a structured process for your employer to provide you with ownership in the company. Instead of just giving you a bunch of shares the day you join, the procedure around options allows the company to grant you ownership over time, which is typically referred to as a vesting period. The closest thing to a standard vesting period for a startup is usually four years with a one-year cliff. What that means is that until one year after the options are granted and started vesting, you are unable to exercise any of them. Then after one year, the first 25% of your options will all vest at once, but if you leave the company before that date for any reason, you get nothing. After the first year, most companies vest the remaining shares at 136 of the total per month for the next three years. Again, if you part ways with the company before that period is over, you only get what you vested so far. Some companies vest faster, some companies vest slower, some with no cliff, some with multiple years before anything vests. There is a wide variety in execution. It's up to you to factor this into your decision-making process. If the company has a long cliff or a seven-year vesting period, how likely is it that you'll actually be able to get anything? If ownership is an important part of your employment decision-making, be very careful. And before you ask, yes, it is not unheard of for people to be laid off mere days before their vesting date. But what happens when your options vest? Do you just automatically own the shares? No. Once they're vested, you just now have the right to exercise them. And by exercise, I mean to buy them. Oh, you thought they were free? No such luck. When the company's board chooses to grant options, part of that process involves setting a strike price or exercise price on the options. Usually this is a dollar amount based on the fair market value of the company determined by a 409A valuation. It's not just the valuation of the company from the last funding round, though that can be a factor. 409A valuations are a complex and convoluted mix of funding valuations, revenue numbers, and company assets. Typically it takes a lawyer and some accountants to figure it out. Regardless of how it gets set, that strike price is what you're going to have to pay to exercise those options. This is a very important number because an option that has a high strike price for a company that doesn't execute very well can actually be underwater, like when you bought Bitcoin at 19 grand. Assuming that's not the case and the company goes gangbusters, when do you exercise your options? To have the least risk, you want to wait until the last minute before your options expire in order to have the most information about whether they're going to make you or lose you money. For most companies, that expiration date is 90 days after you part ways with the company or at a negotiated time after a change in control or liquidity event happens. In most cases, ISOs also expire 10 years from the grant date. 
If you're let go when fully vested after four years and only have 90 days to exercise your options, but the company isn't likely to be acquired or go public anytime soon, how do you know if buying the shares are a good deal or not? You don't. It's just a risk that you'll have to weigh. Is the company doing well? Are they struggling to fundraise? Is the CEO a flake? Does the board seem unhappy? What happens if the company is acquired before you fully vest? That depends. Some option programs have what's called accelerated vesting in the case of a liquidity event, but usually the process is poorly defined and subject to change depending on the circumstances of the event. Many acquirers want to keep the existing employees of the company they just bought motivated to stick around, so they won't allow accelerated vesting to happen. But what if you fully vest and the company doesn't look like it's going to sell anytime soon? Many companies will provide key staffers with refresh grants in order to retain top talent. These new options might vest differently than your original grant and almost assuredly will have a different strike price and other details. Perhaps the most important piece of information when it comes to your options is the piece that many companies are hesitant to provide, the total number of outstanding shares the company currently has issued. Dividing the number of options you'll be vesting by the total number of shares gives you a rough idea of how much of the company you'll own if vested. There is no standard percentage of the company that you should receive. It entirely depends on the stage of the company, your role, and the startup's funding situation. At a pre-product, pre-funding company, most new hires are taking a considerable risk in joining the startup, so they should be compensated with more options, maybe 1-5% to for general staff and up to 20% for leadership or key hires. Post-seed round, it'll be rare to be offered more than 1% unless you're being poached. After the Series A, almost every hire will be sub-1% from then on out. Why is knowing the percentage of the company represented in your options important? Because it can help you understand what the options may be worth in the future. Seek out comparable companies, figure out what they're worth, maybe find the details on that competitor that sold last year. If they sold for $150 million, that gives you an idea about the possibilities for your new prospective gig. But just because you've been offered options equating to 10% of the company doesn't mean that you will own 10% when everything is said and done. Remember that your options represent a finite number of shares that will not increase as the company raises new funding and issues new shares to those investors. That's called dilution which alludes to the fact that as a pool of shares grows, the existing shares represent a smaller and smaller portion of the whole. So how can you know how much your shares will be diluted? You can't, but you can make an educated guess. Remember when we looked at comparable companies to see what they're worth? Do the same, but instead look at how many funding rounds that company went through. Usually you won't be able to find out the valuation of the company for each of those rounds, but most funding rounds equate to roughly 20 to 30% dilution, depending on how the company is performing and other conditions like market and location. By seeing how many funding rounds the company has had, you can get an approximation of the compound dilution the shareholders have had. Let's talk through an example that can help solidify the concepts we've talked about. Let's say you're considering joining a startup that has some early revenue, but hasn't brought in any outside investor funds yet. They offer you 10,000 stock options with a four-year vesting period and a one-year cliff. The founders are very forthcoming with details and explain that the company has 1 million outstanding shares, including 100,000 shares in a stock option pool, equating to 10% of the company total. 
They are offering nine other potential hires the same amount you might receive, equating to 1% of the company in options. The strike price is 10 cents, and the other details seem to be reasonable. Assuming the pay in Benny's are good enough, then this might be pretty attractive. You accept and enthusiastically join the team. Over the next few years, your company raises seven funding rounds of about 20% dilution each. A pre-seed round, a seed round, a seed plus round, a series A with an 8% option pool refresh, a series B, a bridge round after that, and finally a series C just before being acquired. That compound dilution will leave you with about 0.26% ownership by the time everything is said and done. If the company sells for $100 million, then you're looking at about $259,000 in profit after you paid the exercise price for those options. Now is when you have to think about taxes. Well, actually, you probably should have been thinking about them earlier. To get the best tax treatment, you'll need to hold on to your options for at least one year after exercising them and two years after they were granted. If you're able to comply with these holding periods, then the money you will make will be taxed as capital gains. If not, then the entire gain will be taxed as ordinary income, which is, you know, guaranteed to keep your future self up at night. There are lots of additional details and quirks to taxes on incentive stock options, and you probably ought to get professional advice if you're not sure you're doing the right thing. Ultimately, you need to remember that it's not the company's job to hold your hand on these matters. Some of them will, but there are less scrupulous founders out there that would prefer you be in the dark. They think you should just be happy that they've seen fit to bestow anything upon you. Here are a few things to be wary of when going through this process. Number one, vague promises that aren't in writing. Words are wind. Promises to take care of you don't mean shit. If they're not willing to put specifics in writing, then you're getting played. Simple as that. Don't go along with it. Some details are provided in an offer letter, but they haven't given you a stock option agreement. If they can't show you at least a pro forma copy, then it's likely they don't even have a stock option program yet. How can they actually be promising you anything? Number three, missing important details. Not telling you the total number of outstanding shares is a classic way to take advantage of bright-eyed youngsters who see a big number of options and assumes that that means that they'll own a lot of the company. Companies can issue millions and millions of shares. Only having half the equation tells you nothing. Excessively long vesting periods is another classic con. A seven-year vesting period is insane. Most businesses won't survive that long, and the average stint an employee spends with a startup is closer to 30 months. A two-year cliff is too long. Vesting in year-long chunks instead of monthly or quarterly exposes you to more risk than is necessary. Number five, not having a strike price in the option agreement. It is possible that the strike price isn't set because the board needs to finalize it or because the company is waiting on a new 409A valuation, but they should specifically call that out. A high strike price means that you're going to be underwater for a long time. And finally, number six, an expiration time frame that is too short. If the options expire the day you leave the company, will you be able to come up with funds to exercise them that quickly? Do you trust that there won't be shenanigans with the paperwork that conveniently precludes you from getting what's yours? So that's stock options for employees. If you're considering joining a startup or a business that provides stock options, I've made a simple calculator and a more complex model that you can check out at the link in the episode details.
It can help you make some informed guesses about what your options could be worth and how dilution will affect you. Your mileage might vary, but give it a shot. So what do you think? Did we miss something? Still confused? If you have additional details you need, or have a question you'd like us to cover in an episode, leave us a comment or shoot me an email at ed at runningoutofrunway.com. Or I'm on Twitter at ebuholtz. You can also hit us up at at outofrunway or at runningoutofrunway.com. Thanks so much for listening in. If you like our content and want more, make sure to subscribe and like. See ya!